Welcome to the Pandemic Pantry Podcast. Do you like cooking, reading about food, or even just eating? Then this podcast is for you. My co-host Charlotte and I work in the food industry. We'll be taking you behind the scenes, meeting the people who make it all happen, and showing you what's going on. Together, we'll bring you an inside view from the food industry with our unique perspectives from our work behind the scenes in food creation and production. Every week, along with our special guests, we'll cover different foodie topics, from baking to growing your own, home cooking, outdoor cooking, and even booze. Our aim is to take a positive look at what the nation is cooking and eating right now. There's so much adaptation, galvanization, and collaboration across the entire food system at the moment, and we'll be talking to some very special guests about the changes in their world, professional and personal, about remodeling, rethinking and innovating with so much turned upside down and sharing some unique perspectives from field to fork. We'll also consider what food will look like in the future, in the home and outside. This podcast is sponsored by Moorish Hummus, a tasty treat for when eating in is the new going out. Moorish produces a range of delicious dips, including smoked hummus and now new velvet hummus. Moorish is available in Sainsbury's, Waitrose, Ocado and many other stores. Every week our lucky listeners will be in with the chance to win some delicious dips in our competition at the end of each show, along with some other exciting gifts. I'm Jules Waddell, founder of Moorish Hummus. Yes, there is a link. And I'm here with my co-host Charlotte, award-winning cookery, writer, teacher and chef. For more on us, check out lovemoorish.co.uk and charlottepike.co.uk. We'll also keep you updated on what shops are open when and for whom on our website pandemic-pantry.co.uk. So, it's time to pull up a chair at the table, sink into the sofa or relax into bed and get ready for the Pandemic Pantry Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Pandemic Pantry Podcast. As we're getting into our stride with the episodes now, I'd like to quickly cover a couple of points before we properly start. Firstly, thank you all for listening and thank you to our fabulous guests for taking the time to talk to us. We know that the audio quality on this podcast is not perfect and very occasionally contains the odd glitch or small child running into the room. As you would probably expect, we're not able to record our podcast in a fancy professional studio due to the very nature of the pandemic we're covering. And so we are recording in our homes with less than optimal studio acoustics and the occasional glitch with Wi-Fi. I hope you'll bear with us and understand the situation. Secondly, we also wanted to say that we are aware that the tone of our podcast is upbeat and pretty positive. This is deliberate. The pandemic is undoubtedly an incredibly difficult time for everyone and tragic for many. But we feel that there is a lot of bad news and sadness already coming over the airwaves. And whilst we fully acknowledge that, we have decided to make a podcast that is designed to inform and entertain. We hope you'll agree this was the right thing to do. Anyway, enough of all that and on to the show. Charlotte, hi, how are you today? Hi, I'm pleased to say I'm doing okay, thanks. How are you, Jules? Yes, I am sleeping up and down, so sometimes a bit knackered. It's a bit funny, sleep. I'm having the most vivid dreams. But other than that, I'm pleased to say I'm well, and for now, that's all you can ask, really. That is good news in my book. So what's been happening with you this week, Charlotte? Well, 
it's been um, it's been an interesting week actually. We, I feel like we've sort of settled into a nice routine at home. Took a while, especially getting the setup right with us both working from home. We've had to get quite a lot of technology sorted and separate workspaces so that we can both have our own space and privacy. And broadband speed is limited, so you know, there's actually quite a lot to do. Do you have rules around, so he's an engineer, is that right? Mm, yeah, he's a design engineer. And do you have so, rules around when you're allowed to go in and give each other a hug or a cup of tea or talk to each other and rules around when you don't want to be disturbed? How's that all going? Yeah, we we do and we have to be really strict because, well, we both have calls and we did work in the same room, which we actually are quite compatible at doing but the noise and the confidentiality was an issue he does a job that's actually very very highly confidential and works for one of the world's leading entrepreneurs so we had him on video conference (laughs) having discussions listening (laughs) exactly so I had to go and hide in a different part of the house or in the garden so I couldn't possibly hear (laughs) so we've had quite a few challenges in that respect but we are actually really enjoying being together more and it's nice because we didn't really get too much time to do that before because I was working the day and the evening. So I'd often just tiptoe back in through the door, often about one, half past one was my time AM to get home, sort of tiptoe into a sleeping house. So that's been really nice. Can I ask how long you've been together? Over 16 years. I was going to say, well, yes, that's interesting. I was going to say you're enjoying being together more. I'm thinking, oh, that's lovely. Maybe they've only been together a couple of years because I'm finding my husband (laughs) annoying. (laughs) We've been together a long time, so well done that you're enjoying, and of course, we are too, but it has its moments. It's good that you're enjoying each other's company. That's lovely. It's really nice, and we're taking time to, we're actually doing some exercise together each day, which is nice, as we're making time to go for a bike ride or a run when the weather's nice, and that is something we just never do and in fact I'm afraid I don't get too much time for exercise it's been really nice to be able to do a bit more of that with the good weather I mean one of the big things is though is just the general concern for friends and family staying safe I mean I sort of feel fine in my own little bubble at home because I'm only going out once a week to shop I'm fine as long as I don't think about the wider concerns and I have never been more acutely aware of the privilege it is to have a safe and happy home and some space. And I feel almost guilty that I, that I have that. It uh, is something that has really been playing on my mind a lot as well with thinking about loneliness as well, because it is really, really hard being at home. And again, I consider myself very fortunate, but I don't have friends or family nearby. I can't go and drop something on someone's doorstep or go and wave at them through the window and it is really hard and there are days when you think I just would love someone to send me a text and say how are you doing and so many people must be thinking that at the moment and I think you know we need to really be looking out for each other and I feel very very acutely aware of that at the moment. Yeah I hear you my mother-in-law lives on her own her husband passed away last year and she is in the village and she'll sort of wander around to our house not you know come in or come anywhere near us but stand you know 
a long way away and um, sort of shout hello and hi. And she just wants to see some people and 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 say some words to real people. It, it's it's really hard. That's not to be underestimated. Yeah, I think so. And how is how are things in your world this week, Jules? So yeah, it does feel I've I've actually lost track. Is this week four? It definitely feels like we're getting into a, a routine, like you say. Ours is a family routine. So I have a 15-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old son. And we're doing things together and then things apart. So every morning on a weekday, we do the Joe Wicks workout. Have you heard about this? Very impressive. Yes, I have tried it. (laughs) There's a bit of squabbling over, you're in my space. You're not trying hard enough. (laughs) You're trying to take a picture of me and I don't want you to. There's a bit of all that going on. I got told Um, off for jumping up and down too loudly. (laughs) I am worried about the floor in the living room, surviving all this. But it's nice. And actually, it's not the sort of thing we would ever normally do an online video class together. And it's actually really nice. And we come out afterwards, you know, a bit pink and sweaty, but ready to start the day. And I kind of like it. Mm -hmm. And then we've got homework mornings. So the kids have totally got used to how strange they've got used to it so quickly. A limited amount, just a few hours of schoolwork. And then that's it. And they know they're done for the day. So they are knuckling down. My 12-year-old son is complaining a lot more than my 15-year-old daughter, but he's doing it. They're both doing it. And then we've tried to implement weeknight entertainment. So it might be a board game. It might be a movie night. I was tasked with writing a murder mystery night last week, which I have to say was oh, wow. very difficult, very taxing. Yes. I think I sort of managed to pull it off. And just things like that to try and bring a bit of bit of something to the day because otherwise it can get very tedious but it is a slower pace of life so Mm. I spend a lot of time in the greenhouse I have never gardened in my life this is just not something I've ever done I've always thought it looked like a nice thing to do never done it but we're growing a few things I've killed about half of them but half of them (laughs) are still going Um, that's a good strike rate for a first attempt (laughs) very very proud of me when I tell you what else I've done so today I made a sourdough starter. Oh, well done. (laughs) Well, will I keep it alive? Will it ever turn into edible bread? We'll see. But I was thinking, it's like getting a pet, isn't it? If we could, we might get a dog. At this point, we can't, so we won't. But there's never been a better time to dedicate time to getting a routine going and looking after something. Well, my pet will be the sourdough. So we'll see if I I keep it alive. But um, on that Downside, I am a little bit worried about the lack of social interaction for my children. Being 15 and 12, and especially the 15-year-old, she was just starting to grow her little buds of wings to be able to go out and do what she wanted and get the bus and go and meet her friends. And that has just completely disappeared. And yes, they talk on social media and video calls, but it isn't the same. And I am starting to think, you know, as this rolls on, they will get less used to being sociable and what impact will that have and I guess a there's nothing we can do about it and b we won't know until it happens so that's something that plays on my mind but I have to say I'm with you on the fitness thing I have never felt fitter well not for many years because normally when the children went got the bus to school at 8 a.m I'd I'd just immediately get sucked into work whereas now I am making myself go out for a run or a walk or whatever and I, I feel really good and the Joe Wicks thing all of that hopefully you know trying to be fit and healthy it's a good time to do that in terms of looking after ourselves and our bodies in light of the serious illness that is invisibly around us and and who knows when it might come so all of that good stuff so let's get on to the show 
Every week, we will be chatting to one very special guest and one industry expert. So now it's time to meet this week's special guest. So a very warm welcome to our industry expert and special guest. Holly Newton is a home gardening expert and author of best-selling book, How to Grow, A Guide for Gardeners Who Can't Garden Yet. She is also a creative director, screenwriter, and former multi-award winning advertising executive in her former job as one of Europe's youngest executive creative directors, working on accounts such as Volvo and Prada. Holly is a self-taught garden and keen cook who writes about how to grow and what to do with your harvest. She started to grow on a rented balcony in London in an attempt to escape the stress and pressure of her busy job. How to Grow shares everything she learned along the way in her uniquely fun, inspiring and stylish way. Holly Newton, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. That is a very good introduction. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> for joining on low days. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Holly. So what got you into gardening from your balcony to writing your book? And why do you think people are interested in starting to grow at the moment? Yeah, I think for me, it was, um, I was living, I grew up in Dorset. So you take these things for granted, don't you? And then sort of worked my way up. I lived in London and I was working sort of, it was very exciting, but it was also destroying me. So I was working sort of 80 hour weeks in the city and you come home and it's it's your little tiny little slice of your own world, isn't it? And we had this balcony, yeah, rented house. It's what is it, like a foot big? But I think to actually start growing something again seemed really important to begin with. It's like everyone, isn't it? You get a balcony and then you think, what should I put on it? You get a chair and you think, oh, I think I need green things. And then I suppose it's, it's um, you, know, you go to garden centres and you find something and you look in that edibles aisle and before you know it, you're totally sucked in. So I think that was it. And you sort of, you know, you're lugging a, a bag of compass back on the bus. <laughs> it's impossible to <laughs> much, nearly dying. Before you know it, you're there after a horrible week and you're sort of all muddy and you've got your trowel out and, and it's almost like a little bit of control, I think, that you started to get back over things. But I think the main thing was, you know, suddenly it's it's slower, isn't it? So I, I, I live in a world of immediate results and no patience whatsoever. And, and I think actually it was the only thing that saved me from being a total twat so it's actually <laughs> slow down and actually sort of go along with the rhythm of nature it sounds very almost pretentious doesn't it but waiting for a strawberry to grow there's nothing you can do to make it hurry up really you just have to go and check every morning and wait and you see those little tiny green fruits start out of the flower and then they're getting bigger and then they start to turn pink you're oh my god and before you know it you've got strawberries it's sort of a miracle isn't it I think that connection to the natural world is amazing yeah. and you know however however you make the connection yeah. I mean there are so many challenges to life right now in the lockdown and limited or no outdoor space is a real problem for lots of people and most of us have seen a drop in our income so thinking back to your time on the balcony could you give us some simple and inexpensive ideas for starting to grow some delicious things to eat Definitely. Because obviously, I'm, I mean, I'm very well aware that I'm talking from a place of privilege. In the end, we swapped London for a garden, which is essentially the payoff. <laughs> but I think, you know, I was thinking a lot about it. I mean, a lot of my friends don't even have a balcony. So obviously, the, the really simple thing you can do if you have any remotely sunny windowsill is to grow some herbs, which sounds so simple, doesn't it? But that, that alone has a, a lovely sense of very low-key achievement and be able to sort of cut some coriander or a bit of parsley or some basil and throw it into your cooking there, there is something 
although on a small scale, that feels just lovely, doesn't it, as a human being? And I think one of the big trouble, well, the big trouble that we're all having is those lovely garden centres we took for granted and the nurseries are suddenly shut. So there is something about that. If you go into a supermarket, you can buy them potted already, which is actually incredible because then you can, you know, I've got a great big herb pot outside on my terrace and actually I, I managed to plant it with a lot of those things because suddenly you know you're so used to it, aren't you you're going to get mint and go this look at these fabulous varieties and you're totally stuck so that's one thing you can do and then pop them up on your windowsill and then if you have a balcony I think that's you know there's a lot more you can do with it than you think so all of us get a balcony and you start off and you put a chair out and then you think oh might get some flowers or something but what's really nice is that you can actually have edibles on there instead or as well of which look lovely but also obviously you can eat them which is lovely. so I think interesting things for me are things like little trailing tomato varieties or strawberries things like that you can plant in essentially hanging planters and I always liked that because you've only got this tiny little footprint haven't you on a balcony but using the railings you start to claw back more space and you can do things you know like ladders lent up against let up against a wall and that sort of thing where you suddenly have more more space to plant pots so I think things like that also you know, we are all having incredible trouble getting hold of plants. So in my book, I was, you know, talking about, you know, bought seedlings a lot and that sort of thing, because it's easy. And when you're getting into gardening, I mean, I'm totally, absolutely 100% behind people having an easy way into it. You can become an expert later and really get into it. But that said, seeds are a much easier way at the moment to get in from fact you can get them so I just look at easy things and there's always absolutely amazed me how easy radishes are it was hilarious you sort of pop them in the ground and the next thing you know you've got this wonderful row of radishes and so I think you know especially if you've got children or it's you just starting out I couldn't really recommend that enough you can get the most wonderful varieties I've just got an order going off to Thomas Etty who are so old-fashioned and brilliant. You have to use a bank transfer. They've never heard of the internet. It's amazing. <laughs> I've also got these wonderful tomato varieties, some of those the little ones. I've got lovely sort of kale and that sort of thing. And the interesting is you can grow those on a balcony. They, you know, things like courgettes are so reliable. It's quite difficult to mess up a courgette, which is what we need in this time. <laughs> so all you need is a deep pot. You know, so if you've got room for one deep pot, you look at that sort of thing. Things like kale and chard, they're really, really easy to grow. They're easy to grow from seed as well, particularly chard, which is very expensive in Waitrose, but looks absolutely beautiful. You've got those beautiful sort of pink and yellow stalks and you can use the leaves and that sort of thing. And then well, it's sort of anything you fancy, really. I mean, you're sort of just about in time to do some potatoes as well. If you get them, you can get seed potatoes sent. And that's really interesting. So you need like a potato bag, which you've ignored from Amazon, or, you know, great, just a slightly large bucket. And the next thing you know, you've got lovely, all these leaves coming up. And when they start to fall over, your potatoes are ready. And you've grown them on a balcony. It seems ridiculous, but you can. So I think that's what I like about it. You can grow an, an astounding amount on a balcony and it's just deeply pleasing. That's really interesting. I mean, one of the things I really was inspired by in your book is growing in pots. And that's something I've really started to do. And taking your advice, um, it works so well because they can be moved as well. So if something needs a bit more sunshine, you can just shift it around. And I'm trying to save and repurpose as many things from around the house as I can use in the garden. So I'm saving big tins and all sorts of things that I can use to plant. Are there any recommendations you have for things, household items that we can save to use and repurpose? Yeah. 
Definitely. I think anything like that where you have a great big tin is amazing. I mean, it will often only last one season because it rusts in the end. But the thing is just to punch some holes in the bottom. <laughs> Find any old gravel or bits of bricks you can put in the bottom and then plant. What else? It's funny as I'm always looking out stuff. I mean, things actually sometimes, you know, things you've got in the house, like a vase that you don't really use, you know, like a great big jug or something you don't use anymore. All of these can be, you know, anything that's got a bit of depth to it is what you're looking for. So I just sort of scoured. Does it have to be, does it have to be non-porous, a big cardboard box? Oh yeah, no, no. So I think, well, you know, sometimes you can use them if you're bringing on seedlings. So that's that's one thing, isn't it? Bringing on seedlings is when you've got you know the seeds planted, you need to go to the next stage. I always have pots hanging around from you know things I've bought in garden centres. If you don't, though, like card egg boxes, cardboard boxes that are rolling up blue roll into a little tube, that's absolutely amazing. And you know, sort of the mystery of hardening off seedlings. So you put them on a tray, you take them out for the day, bring them back in carefully, <laughs> that sort of thing. You can make those yourself, which is great. And the other thing, I mean, it's difficult. So we're not really allowed out, are we? But I've always found, you know. Not essentially getting into a skip, but keeping your eyes out <laughs> by bin areas. <laughs> you can sometimes find really cool things. We once found, yeah, really quite a cool sort of drum that had come from ghee, sort of ghee butter. And it just looked great. It was slightly rusty, but it had really cool prints all over it. And that lasted for a, a season or two. Afterwards, you look, you see, no, wait, that is just about to fall apart. So I think it's that sort of thing, just using your imagination. That's some really good, some really good tips there. I'm definitely going to start saving my loo roll uh, tubes oh. and egg boxes. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you mentioned one of the difficulties with growing at the moment is actually getting hold of stuff. And that's, that's an issue we're all experiencing at the moment. One of the effects of the lockdown is the impact it's had on the garden industry yeah. because a lot of um, garden centres and nurseries are not able to open at the moment. So you've started a project called Garden Relief. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing there and how people can get involved? It's sprouple.com and then when you go onto the site there's a big garden relief button and we're just trying to gather together on a map every single shop, nursery or garden centre that is still open for business online quite a big job so we're sort of putting them in ourselves we're asking people to share it and sort of pop in their favorite ones if you are an owner pop it in there's a really easy form online and then you can just locate that add to your location which ones are nearby and with some of them you know like crocus and primrose those guys are still delivering nationally they've got understandably totally snowed under and there's waiting lists but i think what's interesting is there are lots of you know nurseries who will deliver within the county or within certain mile radiuses and that's what we're looking at getting together at the moment i've just literally before we came on the call so i am a very novice gardener like this is a whole new thing and we've been given little tomato plants by some people bartering in the village for other things but i have just placed an order my very first order from the local garden center so i can see they're doing you need a minimum of 25 pounds to get a delivery and they're doing everything from seeds to what are the little plants called? <laughs> Seedlings? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and funnily enough, the things that we have grown are exactly the things that you talked about being foolproof. So radishes, my 12-year-old son, just so pleased because he's like me, I'm like you, impatient. I want results. Where is it? Where is it? I planted it yesterday and they've come up really quickly and he's had a few radishes for lunch. It's amazing. Oh. Radishes, courgettes, tomatoes, salad beans and peas and you know even I who cannot garden we're off we have things and every day I go and have a look and I'm like oh 
it's amazing. It's just nature doing its thing. Yeah. You know, we'd always be zooming around and off to London or taking the kids here and there. And we, we don't normally have time to sit and nurture these things and just enjoy watching it happen. It's a really lovely new thing. And I think having hopefully acquired some skills and knowledge, then next spring and next spring, then once you know what you're doing, it's much easier. But it is a little bit frustrating that the one time everybody wants to grow their own and do these things, ah, that's the time when the garden centres are really struggling. So I love what you're doing with collating all of those people that are doing it, because if they can, it's brilliant. Good for them and good for us. And I think the other thing we're looking at I mean, all of us are just desperate for plants, aren't we, and supplies. But I think the other thing is if some of places are offering gift vouchers, so you might not be able to get it now, but that cash flow is so essential. Every time you buy that, they've got the cash now to keep going over. And as soon as we are let out into the world, you can go and buy all sorts again. That's crazy. Yeah, but I think it's it's interesting, isn't it? This suddenly we, if we are lucky enough to have any outdoor space, it's become the most precious thing, hasn't it? And, you know, we moved from London and we sort of took on a ridiculous nearly fallen down bungalow we've sort of been doing that up but as you know any building work destroys a garden so we've sort of got back to being a boring garden and they've got a little toddler and there's no time actually finally I've had time to every day go and work and and do little bits we've got on top of it and sort of learned to fall in love with the garden again exactly exactly so talking of toddlers and life being a bit different what was a day in the life of Holly like before and what is a day in the life of Holly like now? Oh, before the lockdown. Mm. Before the lockdown, I had just about got things back on track again. <laughs> so <laughs> left a very big job in London, came down, had a slight breakdown, did a house that did not help, but then had a baby. This sort of I mean, life absolutely imploded. And he's just coming up to one and a half now. I sort of got back on track. So you know, some screenwriting is just, you know, starting that. I'm very lucky. Just got an agent getting that going. I've been doing really nice brand work for some interesting people and projects and, and just start to balance that, working on a new book. And everything seemed a bit better. Childcare in place. So like, oh, okay, I'm on this. Pop up to London a few days a week. And honestly, the shock of suddenly being locked down. I'm just going to mention this everywhere. <laughs> it suddenly felt like the walls had closed in. And I think, you know, suddenly you're like, oh my God, you're bartering with each other for time. Who's going to work? When? What's happening? Oh my God, are we going to have tomatoes ever again in a can? All of that. So I think the first few weeks, it was, you know, pretty brutal shock. And, and you sort of go from absolute terror that you'll never go outside again to maybe little highlights of liking it. I'd say we're now, you know, sort of just getting into the swing of a new life which seems mad, doesn't it? A few weeks, I'm like, oh, we're actually enjoying ourselves. I think I've managed, both of us have managed to do a lot of work in far shorter time. So perhaps, you know, there's a lot to be learned from that, isn't there? <laughs> Rather than string it out. Interesting. It's to see, won't it, how long it takes to have some irreversible things that we either don't want to do the way we used to do them or are not possible to do the way we used to do them. You know, maybe after a week we could have bounced back to the old ways, but mm. now we're three, four weeks in, and that, that yeah. looks like it's set to continue for another little while. There is definitely going to be a tipping point where the longer we, we live these new lives, the less we will go back to how things were. It'll be really interesting to see. Yeah, it will. I mean, I think one thing I was thinking, I think I've learned to enjoy being with my little toddler which sounds weird doesn't it but I think there was 
always you're rushing around fitting this oh god where's the nap where's this filling those weekends and to begin with I was I mean absolutely terrified about what we'd all do together but I think now I'm like, oh actually this is oh, it's actually really enjoyable just a slower pace it turns out he enjoys a slower pace and not doing everything all the time being overloaded so there are there are things there where maybe as a family we're enjoying each other a little bit more yeah little while coming out the other side of mad babiness but I think also for me after those few weeks you know I am making sure I've got time it's funny isn't it rose gardening book and then sort of fell out of love with it it's all the publicity and the thing and the Instagram it's all just a bit filthy and I'd sort of you know fallen out of love with it a tiny bit and now I'm absolutely falling in love again and the more I'm doing that the more room I seem to have in my mind creatively so my writing is just going at a speed that it was not going the last year or so but I think those things are good. My car keeps saying it's got a flat battery. Because <laughs> we literally don't go out to get... It's a very new car. So I thought these couldn't break. <laughs> but I think it's astonishing how little we're going out and using the car. We yeah. put it into one supermarket shop a week. I'm used to just getting stuff every day. Same. Mm. It's been a huge change. <laughs> yeah. It's been a huge change. And what are you particularly enjoying growing and cooking at the moment? Oh, absolutely loads. Well, it's just the beginning of growing vegetables, isn't it? So I had the last of like the kale and the last beetroot and things just coming through and like lit the one bit of broccoli that wasn't eaten by all the slugs. So that's just sort of finished and just planted radishes, planted a lot of lettuce. So I'm, I'm very lucky. I built four enormous raised beds. So I've got like a salad bed. I'm just getting going. got some beans in there, some miraculous sort of Swedish heirloomy peas, which just self-seed every year in exactly the spot you want absolutely brilliant so they're up and going so I'm growing all of those and we've also got a greenhouse we put up last year which I'm haplessly trying to brick the floor of turns out I'm not a bricklayer but to redo it twice <laughs> but this is the most glamorous greenhouse ever Holly is oh, it? it's so cool I put a chandelier in it <laughs> I know right I am aiming for a very mini Petersham in that greenhouse got it for a gum tree for a tenner very cool I get a lot of my life from gum tree or more planters and stuff so and we're setting up that obviously we're doing the daily hardening off seedlings dance they're all over the uh, terrace at the moment but also I think something that I have not had time for it's almost overwhelming so we were very lucky we got a big garden I've never had a big garden I got up to a yard before is actually getting on top of in the fund of landscapey planting so the bed in the front I've been doing flowers doesn't it but I mean absolutely filling it with bulbs or with seeds and that sort of thing I I didn't realize before that if you do all these lovely wildflowers you have no idea how to weed once you put them in <laughs> it's just ah. <laughs> what would it be <laughs> But, you know, just planting just lovely stuff in there, like peonies and all sorts of things, like bleeding hearts look lovely. So that's, you know, almost not fruit, yeah, frivolous garden, you know, not just what I'm doing with weeds. Are you eating from the garden every day or? Well, well, not much yet. We've got loads of chives and that sort of thing, loads of herbs, but mainly it's, you know, it's the beginning of the season, isn't it? So everything's about to start growing. Lovely. And what three things are you looking forward to, Holly, as and when at some point this will stop and life will have some sort of new normality? What are you really looking forward to that you can't have oh, or do goodness. at the moment? Do you know, I was thinking, I didn't realise how often we just go out for a walk and a pub lunch. That's pretty yeah. much every weekend, go out somewhere lovely and doing that. So that would be lovely. It's also the season when you get to go to these fabulous gardens. <laughs> you just go out to these fabulous gardens, get inspiration, come back. I thought, oh, they're all closed. So I think going and seeing those again. We were going to go to Hauser and Worth and see the Piet and Bouf garden. And that's not that far from us. Like, oh, we'll trip out there. And all of these were suddenly cut off. So we're going to do a lot more of that. But also 
for me, because we left London, came back to Dorset, I'm a, I'm a great nipper up to London. I just want to be able to go up and have a cocktail. <laughs> just a cocktail, please. <laughs> and a nice lunch. So that would be very nice. It won't be long, I'm sure. Well, thank you so much for your time, Holly. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm off to uh, to find out about hardening off my seedlings. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole new world. <laughs> thank you so much, Holly. Oh, it's my pleasure. Lovely to talk to you. Take care. And now I'm delighted to introduce another special guest. Mark Diacono is a food writer, grower and photographer. Mark's background is in environmental consultancy and he is an authority on cooking and growing. He was the head gardener at River Cottage. Mark and his wife came across Otter Farm in East Devon shortly after they were married, which they bought and developed into the UK's first climate change farm, growing an extraordinary range of edibles, both traditional natives and exotics rarely found in Europe, from peri pears to Japanese wine berries and even Szechuan pepper. In 2016, Mark successfully crowdfunded nearly £65,000 to build the Otter Farm Kitchen Garden School, which allowed him to complete an ambitious eco-build, which featured on Grand Designs. Mark's no longer at the farm, but Otter Farm Nursery currently sells a wide range of plants and seeds through their website. Alongside the growing, Mark is an author of nine critically acclaimed books on growing and cooking. His latest book, Sour, The Magical Element That Will Transform Your Cooking, was published in September and was recently shortlisted for the Fortnum and Mason Cookery Book of the Year Award. Mark has said that if he has been put on the planet for anything, it is to persuade as many people as possible to grow a little of what they eat and to make the best of it in the kitchen. Mark, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Morning. Hi, Mark. How are you and how are you finding life in lockdown? How's it going for you? You know, I'm, I'm today I'm good, but I think the whole kind of lockdown thing is quite well described by a friend of mine who's a, he's a metal detectorist. And um, he was out in the field the other day having a good look around for stuff. And, you know, you get carried away in that little world. You know, you're in your own bubble and you're away and the sun was shining and all of that. And after about an hour and a half, he suddenly had a thought. He was like, oh, do you know what? I'm, when I get home tonight, I'm going to carry on watching that miniseries about the pandemic. And he was like, what channel was it on? And then it hit him like a bolt from the blue. Hang on, no, that's life. That's how it is. You know, and he'd been away somewhere. And I think I'm maybe suffering a bit of that where because I write a good part of the time, a lot of the day is normal. It's exactly the same as it ordinarily is. And then it sort of hits you sideways. You know, you think, right, I'll just, I'll go out and do this or I'll do that. Or I wonder how so-and-so, or you hear some of the, extraordinary things going on at the moment both good and bad so I I feel like I'm kind of lurching between everything being day-to-day fine I'm 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 someone who likes being on their own a lot of the time you know into crikey O'Reilly you know this is we're we're living through kind of proper history you know and then of course increasingly touched by people that you know maybe started off being one step away from you that you knew were affected by it kind of physically and then it becomes just the person that you know you know and that obviously makes everything more real because there is a sense you know we, we I think most of us have of this unknowable distant thing that suddenly gets closer and closer so I guess the answer is I'm pretty good as it goes and I count myself really really lucky about that and I'm maybe psychologically given to the situation you know I'm good on my own I like it and all of that but then really not and also really finding upset in how much and how many people are very much more affected by it than myself you know 
And I think that's really interesting that the very first thing you said there was, well, today I'm okay. And certainly that's my experience. It's, it's like a roller coaster. And, and mm. some days you're sort of fine and life feels kind of, well, there's the new normal, which we're sort of getting used to now. We're a few weeks in, so it has normalized a little. But also some of the things you do are the same because you're at home as you would be for certain parts of the day. But then there are days when it's really not okay and and you really feel the impact of the wider situation. It's just such an interesting mm. interesting time and interesting to hear how everybody's coping. So could you tell us a little bit about what your day-to-day life was like before? What what did you literally get up and, and do and where did Mark go and what did he do all day? And, and what does that look like now? Some the same, some different, I guess. It's really interesting because before all this, I would be, you know, I would be, Typically, maybe up early, I'd go for a walk to the coast, walk along there a bit, spend a good part of the day writing. There would be maybe a quarter of my time would be away from where I live, you know, mostly in London, maybe doing all sorts of things. You know, by now I would be starting to be planning in lots more to do with photo shoots for the next book, all that kind of stuff. I think a big one for me kind of financially income wise but also pleasure wise is that this is the time of year that I would be into all of the shows you know so all the RHS stuff you know Chelsea and Tatton but also Malvern's show but a lot of the food stuff you know I host the food theatre at Malvern and they're kind of I've been doing it long enough that they're part of your the kind of bounce of your year and it's it's really interesting that all of this has made me kind of realize I, I knew the pleasure I got out of those but actually because they're sort of hangers, it's almost like, you know, when lunch is coming, you know, so you, you, you kind of, you know that there's a balance because you're going to do this crazy, busy, lovely, sociable kind of thing where you're talking and cooking with maybe Raymond Blanc or, or, or John Tarot or, or whoever, or Chelsea, you know, the whole kind of craziness of that. So so what's it like now then in contrast? Yeah, it's interesting because all of that balance stuff has gone, you know, so... I find myself doing two things. I mean, yes, I always go for the walk. Still, every day, the walk is is huge for sanity for me, but it's also huge for thinking. You know, I'm I'm really, really capable of sitting here, working at the desk, writing, 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 but not making any kind of leaps at all. And then 15 steps into a walk, everything falls into place, and that's really quite a big thing with me walking you know it settles everything out you know it kind of sifts all of the kind of silt out of the stones and you know I can see what the hell's going on so that's really important to me that way so I do get out yes but I'm I'm spending a lot more time because I've got the opportunity to and I'm kind of forced to in thinking about other kinds of writing about other ideas you know things that like I say work as like for most people in what we do doesn't look even slightly like it did this time last year, you know. So there is space in there to be thinking about other things and other things I want to write about and developing those kind of things, you know. So I'm doing a lot of that. But I'm also, I don't know if it's practicality or sanity or what it is, but food now has become much more, I'm, I'm really, really aware, you know, I'm, I'm planning. I think partly because you know that you're not going to be running out three times a week or whatever it is to shop all the time. You know, you're going, okay lunch today is going to be x and then i'm thinking ahead you know to tomorrow and the day after and the day after and it's become much more like that rather than what i used to do i guess was the evening stuff i knew what was going on you know the, uh, for a few days ahead unless there were any surprises down the line i know what was going ahead but now it's like all three meals and i know what's coming tomorrow and now that whole thing 
I think I wrote something in the book about, you know, when you're young, what you want from life is, is a great deal of extraordinary sex and a lot of travel and a lot of fun. And when you get to my age, what you want is an easy tea. And, uh, you know, and, and, and never more has that been true than now. You know, it's like, I made this, I made this really nice tea and it works for tomorrow too. You know, yes. uh, I, I, I hear you, the whole lunch thing, normally I, I would be the main cook and I would have dinner planned and I'd know roughly what we were going to have and it, it might alternate, you know, what I was going to have tomorrow I might have today. And that, that would be the flexibility. But lunch you know, even at a weekend with the family, we'd wing it and whatever there was, there yeah. was. And the kids could make their own DIY, whatever. Whereas now, because of the the shopping and only wanting to go once a week, if that, mm. and get everything, and that's a different way of doing things. So we're literally writing out dinner, everything you need for that dinner to make sure lunch, what are we going to specifically have? So we, <laughs> this is a whole new way of doing it, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's interesting because... Lunch, same as you, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very often in the house in the day on my own, you know, so if I've gone large on breakfast, lunch might just be, I'll grab that toe end of cake, um, you know, with a coffee sometime in the middle, or I forget, which is not how I often am about food. And I, th- I think some of it is sanity, some of it is just that you need some stuff in your day. Some of it, like you say, is the cooking and the shopping and the whole kind of palaver. Um, mm. But obviously, you know, I'm, like most people, slightly concerned that I'm going to come out of this looking <laughs> entirely different <laughs> to the way I went in, you know. I've got little little cheese baby, I look like I'm carrying a little cheese baby halfway <laughs> by the time I come out of it. So it is a bit tricky, um, just making sure. So, yeah, it, it, I, I think now I'm into this next phase, which is lunch is going to be all green stuff. You know, it's going to be all salady. There's going to be, if there's anything cooked, it's going to be halloumi or something. But it's going to be a tumble of health. Breakfast can be all the eggs and bacon and sausages it wants to be, or fruit and yogurt or whatever. Evening can be what it likes. But lunch, let me not turn into a snake that swallowed a wheelbarrow. You know, I, I, I need to just be a bit of that, I think. We're exactly the same. Never eaten so much salad in our lives and mm. growing salad as well. Mm. And we will come on to that with you in a moment. Well, the last thing I was going to ask you about in this section, Mark, was who's around your table and, and how has that changed? Because obviously everybody is now, but like you say, I used to be mm. on my own most of the day when the children were at school. Who did you not have that you now have three times a day, all day, every day? What, what does that yeah. look like for you? Well, it, normally, normally it would be me most weekdays, maybe my wife one day, but now my daughter's home. She's 14. And also we got my mum here because we were thinking about it, you know, look, if this could be for quite a while, didn't want her to be on her own. Um, but also the idea of if she got ill, then obviously I'd go over and look after her and then there would be a whole period. So we just thought it was a whole load more sensible. So there's four rather than one. It's a whole different deal. You know, there are, there are four, four people times three meals rather than three people times kind of one and two other bits of meal that you grab when you when you do so there's a, there's a lot that's great about it and and it's a, and and it's a good thing um you know as as we explode off the the breakfast table to our various screens and activities around the place and then kind of collect again three times a day it's 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 really nice for that that's who's here at the moment yeah so Mark, as a cook, I'm really, I'd love to know what sort of things you're making at the moment for your suppers. I mean, one of the things though that I think I've certainly found quite interesting about this period is the interest in 
forgotten skills. Mm. And of course, there's a lot of that in sour, the fermenting, preserving. What are you cooking at the moment? And what are you noticing other people are cooking? And how does that fit in with sour? I'm sure lots of people are enjoying recipes from the book at the moment. Well, it's been it's been really nice, actually, because the idea that we would run out of yeast is extraordinary. You know, where, how, I don't, you know, that's just crazy. Um, and yet, we've suddenly turned into a nation of bakers, or at least yeast hoarders. But there is a, a, a big, I've had a lot of queries about sourdough, you know, making a starter, how to get the loaf to work, you know, it, it, it's it's interesting. I think if people get a starter going, then they, they mostly can then make a loaf that they're relatively happy with. But as with most things in life, you know, it's a couple of tweaks here and there that you think are insignificant that actually make all the difference. So I've had a load about that and a lot of stuff, as you would imagine, on Instagram and other social media about how's this looking, how do I do that? But sourdough is the big one because if you can make your own bread, if you've got some flour, everyone's got salt and water. So, you know, it's really simple. And also, you do not it's not forcing you out to get bread because we're all mostly bread monsters one way or the other. So, Mark, one thing about making sourdough and getting your starter going is that it needs to be refreshed adequately so that it keeps the sourdough starter alive. You must have some lovely ideas in sour and from your experience at baking, what to do with managing a starter and for the discarded starter as part of the process. Yeah, I think if people are, I think people are quite reluctant to pour away enough of the starter. You know, this thing is it needs feeding, and if you leave too much of the starter, and then you add flour and water to it, which is how you refresh the starter. You know, if essentially you're giving it some food and keeping it at the right consistency. But if you start off with too much and you feed it a bit, you've got this hungry baby that's not really doing much. So you have to pour away minimum of a half, you know, and then keep bringing it back up, and it's a it feels like a waste. But there are lots of things that you can be doing with that starter. Sourdough pancakes, really, really easy to make, you know. Sourdough pasta, again. There's a really, you know, and, and I go into it in sour, but, you know, it, it's really, really, they're really easy. You know, it's not a hard thing to think, hang on, what once you once it's in your mind. Sourdough soup, which sounds like that would necessarily need another three or four months of lockdown before we get to that stage. But actually, it's really delicious. It's not unlike. I mean, the one I make is not unlike a kind of ribolitery kind of thing, you know, where it's got half the garden soup, you know, it's got a bit of celery, some leeks, it's got whatever you've got some of in the fridge, you know, half a savoy cabbage, maybe a tin of beans, some tomatoes, all of that stuff, you know, some herbs, something to give it a load of aromatic flavour. And, you know, you can, you can in a soup for four, you can easily lose, I don't know, 250 millilitres of starter, that give it this kind of creamy, lovely kind of silkiness, you know. And there's a lot of probiotic goodness in that as well. So, again, this is another thing that's quite important is getting your nutrients in, you know, getting your vitamins in, getting your goodness in, getting the stuff in that's good for your stomach health and your gut health. So, so, I mean, those are just three starters, you know, um, for your starter. Pancakes, pasta and soup. But really, just try adding a little bit to, to any soup and it will bring a silky loveliness that adds a bit to your, to your gut health. Gosh, that's amazing. Well, that's, that's a new one on me, so I will be trying that. Right. <laughs> Thank you. A lot of people making vinegar. A lot of people making vinegar. Yeah, a lot of people making banana vinegar. I think the pleasure of banana vinegar is that what it looks like in the process is wildly inversely proportional to its taste at the end. You know, it's a real revolting slurry that becomes something quite magical but I think there's this quite 
interesting thing of I'm not going to waste anything. How can I drag something out? You know, I bought this. I'm, I'm suddenly in, you know, this whole situation of being in the virus has made you go, made you really aware of the kind of precious nature of food, you know, and the, and the precious nature of the whole journey from plot to plate. And I think lots of people about how do I do this? How can I ferment that? How do I pickle this? And of course, these are all, as you were saying, they're kind of old skills, you know. So lots of people wanting, you know, they've eaten half a half a cucumber. They're aware that they're going to have some left. How do you pickle it? How do you ferment it? What's the is fermenting? How do I, you know, what are, what are the processes? And there's a lot of interest in that. There's a lot in the stuff that we would usually compost. There was something in I think Bob Granley's did in the Guardian yesterday about or the day before about parsnip peelings and that kind of thing. You know, we're we're trying to squeeze every last bit of deliciousness and calorific value out of the precious stuff that we can get in our little windows that we're aware is kind of in a different sort of supply to before. So I guess I fall into that, you know, and trying to do it cheaply. You know, everybody's yeah. income has been walloped, whether your income was four gazillion quid or or four quid, you know, everybody's on the squeeze. So there's a lot of a challenge there. So I'm making a lot of soup. I'm doing a lot of tumbly salad stuff where, where I – will have a lot of jars of stuff that I use a little bit of and a mango here and lots of leaves there, whatever's on offer, whatever I'm getting. Really lucky in my part of East Devon, West Dorset. So many brilliant suppliers, you know, I'm picking up some salad later from people, which uh, is an extraordinary salad. So it's kind of made me a bit more thankful. Not that I wasn't anyway, but it's made me even more thankful for where it all comes from. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people are feeling like that right now. I, I certainly am. Well, you mentioned, Mark, just now the plot to plate. And so many people are looking at growing some of their own food right now. I mean, I am starting to do that because I have not been at home for mm. enough time to be able to care for and establish plants. What advice do you have for anyone who is looking at starting to grow some food right now? I think when I started off, I made all, I've made all the mistakes that are possible to make and had some brilliant advice. And one bit of advice I got from a friend, Michael, was he said, never grow anything when you're starting off for sure. Never start anything that takes longer to arrive than a baby. So don't grow sprouting broccoli or celery. You know, what you need is when you're starting off, you need some kind of reassurance, like we all do in anything, that you are not sent to this earth uniquely to be awful at this thing that you're doing so and especially now you need quick returns you know you need lots of flavor i think the other thing that's really important is that you get repeated harvests of stuff so if you're going to sow something and you're going to go to the trouble of getting the thing to grow then don't make it a cauliflower you know if you're there for the five minutes that it's ripe and ready and beautifully there you get one lunch whereas if you've got a bean plant the more you pick the more it gives same with courgettes the more you pick the more it gives you know one seed one bit of effort boom and you're into a whole load of food so and i think these conditions make those kind of things important so specifically that thing i was saying about flavor you know growing flavor is really important so i would grow in good times and bad i would say go for the transformers the big flavored things that turn the staples in different directions so, you know, even thinking about new potatoes, if you imagine rosemary with that or coriander or or, um, or thyme or lemon thyme, you know, or sorrel, you know, they're all just taking that raw ingredient that's quite easy to get hold of in so many different directions. So, And, and I think that's where you get a lot of value. 
Plus herbs are expensive. You know, you buy them in the, the supermarket or wherever, and they're going to be one fifty two quid. And you know what happens? You know, you buy a little pack of coriander because you're going to make your Thai green curry on a Friday night, and then next Wednesday you discover this kind of slurry in the bottom of your fridge, and then on Friday you go and buy it again in the supermarket, and the, and the whole cycle continues. Whereas when you've grown it, we get a lot of that thing that we're getting right now, which is I don't want to waste this. You know, I'm I can see it's going to seed, so I'm going to cut it, and it's going to come back, and I'm going to use it right now, and it might go into a ferment, it might go into today's salad, but you're in a different mindset. So big flavors. I would say the big herbs are good to grow. Perennial herbs are good because you buy them once and you've got them for years. And multi-harvest stuff. So beans, courgettes, peas, cut and come again, salad leaves, you know. So instead of harvesting a lettuce, you're you're cutting it or picking it about an inch above the ground. And then there's enough of an engine room to be growing more to come back again. So you get this wild amount of value and flavor out of a very small amount of expenditure and effort. I think there's some really good tips there. I mean, I certainly that some of my rules of thumb were thinking about things that I really struggle to buy. Mm. Uh, and that's been interesting trying to trying to grow. I could just never find anywhere. I mean, we'll see how I how I get on. I had very small crops last year, but it but it's something. What about people who are already growing already? Are there any recommendations that you think might be sort of surprising and interesting worth to a veg plot um garden yeah i think i think the kind of area that i've always or for a long time now have have been sitting in most productively i think and most interestingly is that area between kind of the ornamental and the and the edible i don't grow ornamentals because not because i don't like them they're fine but there are so many beautiful edible plants so I think there are a lot of unviable flavours, and you touched on it there, you know, about growing things that you can't get in the shops. There are so many amazing things that for one reason or another don't make it into the shops because they don't fit the chain or whatever. Um, So I would be adding to any garden. So things like Szechuan pepper, you know, it's crazy. We've got 99 point whatever of the country has pepper on their kitchen table and maybe a few hundred people grow their own pepper. And this is the most extraordinary pepper. You know, there, there are so many types of Szechuan pepper you can grow in this country. You can grow Nepalese, you can grow Japanese. They're all very different. They're all hugely influential on their own specific cuisines. Very easy to grow. A bit of sunshine is all they need. And even then, they're not wildly fussy about anything. And, you know, it, one of those things that once you get them to be two feet tall, I've run one over on a tractor and it's come back. I've strimmed them. <laughs> I've done all sorts of things to them. They've been down to minus 18 down here one cold winter and they just come back productive more and more every year. So that kind of stuff, you know, big flavor, can't buy it. And there's a thing called Carolina allspice, which is another glorious plant with just starting to flower now with really powerfully perfumed flowers that its home is in the, in the, in the river basins of the southern states of America. And it's known there as the bubby plant, which is a slightly politer way of saying the booby plant, because way back, the ladies of the time would pinch off the flowers and pop them in the old cleavage, and the scent would, would be released as they went about their day. Um, I think by the end of this lockdown, I'm, I may have the equipment to test that if I don't watch out. <laughs> um, but um, again, really lovely plant, but it's the, it's the bark of that, which is like cinnamon. So essentially, you can grow your own cinnamon. Mulberries, you know, I go on all the time about mulberries, the the most extraordinary fruit that, again, most of us haven't eaten, that you can't get in the supermarkets because it's they're so full of delicious gorgeousness that they fall to bits the minute that you try and move them around, you know, so you've really got to pick them, use them, but the best fruit 
in the world. You know, so there are so many things like that, I think. Go for the unbuyable. You know, if whatever your version of the good Lord is came down and said, you are um, gifted in any way musically, what would you like to do? If you said, I want to join a tribute band rather than make your own music, that would be the equivalent of what most of us do with our edible gardens. We come down and go, I think I'm going to grow what I can get in the shops. You know, there are so many different things that we can grow, and I would encourage everyone to look at them. You know, they're not out of the everyday allotment because they're not delicious. They're there because we are habit followers and we are tribute farmers in lots of ways. You know, we grow what other people grow. And that is something I've written about for 15 years or so, is to get beyond those usuals, because what we eat is such a little sliver. That is yeah. so interesting. That is so interesting. And actually, you've just reminded me, Mark, I've got a mulberry tree in, in the front garden. Uh-huh. Normally, all it does is drop mulberries on the car, make a huge sticky mess, make me really cross. <laughs> actually, I am going to go and look up some recipes to use those mulberries. You, honestly, <laughs> if you catch them at their ripest, and with most fruit, that means if you can be there to catch it rather than pick it, then great. You know, mulberries, I would have nearly all of them just as they are off the tree. But mulberry vodka. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Um, it's extraordinary, you know, and mulberry eaten mess. All of, I mean, it's just, yeah, eat them as near to when you pick them, but also as unmessed around with because there's this whininess about them. You know, there's sort of black currants, blackberries, raspberries, and a whole load of other stuff, sherbetty, all of this stuff coming around. So Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get on to it. Thank you. You're well, welcome. listen... At some point, this will be over in some shape or form that we don't Mm. quite yet know what that will look like. What three things are you looking forward to, Mark, about when when we get back back to normal, if and when we do? Yeah, I think the three what we're looking forward to uh, so many people that I could say I'm I'm very happy alone most of the time, but I'm very sociable a bit of the time. So I think probably all of it involves being elsewhere with people who I would very much like to see. I realised that, so yes, meeting my oldest friend, we usually meet up somewhere around London Bridge, so we would probably end up in somewhere like Lupin's or Jose in way, 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 way too much and talking the same old rubbish we've been talking for 40 years. So that, I've realised that I'm looking forward to the next show thing. So it might be Malvern Autumn rather than Spring. They're great kind of Things that I love as my kind of calendar, you know, and, and usually there's a whole load of people that I love to see there, you know, Nina who kind of runs the thing and the various people who kind of cook there every year. I hate to say it, but I quite like the kind of an occasional industry gathering, you know, where you where you see people that you ordinarily only have contact with on social media. Now, so it might be the Guild of Food Writers Awards thing, you know, whether that happens or not, I don't suppose it will happen this year, but the next one of those would be really lovely because I, I realized the kind of pleasure in seeing people like yourselves you know for, for as you know at those things it's you might have a three minute catch-up over a warm wine you know but a three minute catch-up over a warm glass of wine is a whole load better than not and that might happen twice a year and it's those little things that make you feel more connected so I feel like everything else is good the fourth thing also is I would welcome a return of income so yeah <laughs> you know, so, um, but that's it I think there are lots of those things that don't take up a huge amount of my life, but that are great balances and really important things to me. So I think it's those, it's those little sociable times. Couldn't agree more, couldn't agree more. 
Well, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. Some really brilliant tips there. And I certainly have been referring to, to your books more than ever at the moment to help me help me plan my kitchen garden. Right. So thank you very much for your time. And you can follow Mark on social media for uh, more information and updates. So thank, thank you, you for very much us. both. Thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much, Mark. It was really interesting. We'll put all the links to uh, your websites and social media and the books that you have that people can find. We'll put that all on our website on our social. So that was great. And now it's time to meet this week's Industry Insider. Gil Meller is a chef, food stylist, teacher and award-winning food writer. Gil lives in West Dorset and worked at River Cottage in a number of roles, including head chef, for over a decade. His approach to food and cooking is very much led by the seasons and his surroundings. And he is a great champion of native, sustainable ingredients. His recipes embrace the landscape and give a real sense of place. They are simple and honest with clever, original and delicious combinations of ingredients. His books Gather and Time received huge critical acclaim and his third book is due soon. In Gather, he writes, my respect for and appreciation of good, fresh, seasonal ingredients and where they come from have shaped and honed the way I cook. Gil Mella, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Thank you very much. It's lovely to, to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us. I see you've been working hard your kitchen garden during lockdown. What are you growing, cooking and eating at the moment? Well, life's changed quite a lot. So I've had all this newfound time. It just turned out that we planned this kitchen garden. It's been something we've wanted to do since we moved to the house, which was five years ago. And the timing was right. We, we began work in January and by the time lockdown came in, the garden was pretty much finished. It's a fairly manageable kitchen garden with some raised beds and a greenhouse. It's just big enough to provide food for, for myself and, and, and my family, but not so big that it's going to be a worry or I'm going to be spending you know, too much time out there. But it is a joy to have it. And I've been out there a huge amount, actually, because I've had the time. Lots of seedlings coming up, lots of lovely things that are in the pipeline, but obviously not quite big enough to start eating yet. But alongside the gardening, as you say, the eating has made up uh, a big part of our kind of life now. Cooking and eating, we have found, is the, is the main focus of, of our days, really. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, some of the things that you and I do professionally are quite similar. You said you had some time. I mean, I've certainly noticed huge change in my, my working life. It's just, you know, totally evolved from where it was six weeks ago. And, you know, as you say, the eating is the, the highlight of the day. Really. <laughs> what ingredients are you finding are best right now? And what would you what would you recommend to our listeners to look out for? It's a bit of a funny time for the seasonal cook because spring proper hasn't really kicked off. So all those ingredients that we look forward to towards the end of May and June aren't quite around yet. But that said, there are sneak previews of of things. So the other day we had some wonderful fresh radishes. They're a vegetable that come into season pretty early, almost earlier than asparagus, which is one of our 
favourite vegetables and again is very early. It seems to be earlier each year. Radishes and asparagus, both wonderful fresh vegetables that you can get from local farms and growers. I would definitely look out for those. For impatient growers, radishes are really good. So my 12-year-old son planted some and we've had a crop already. So I think that's quite nice if you're a a novice or an impatient gardener. They're very underrated, I think. They're so delicious, roasted or raw. Yeah, Yeah, totally. I mean, I always eat, obviously, the whole radish and then all the leaves as well. If you're lucky enough to get the radishes with the leaves on and that's the case if you grow them, then they're great. They're just as much part of the plant as the, the little red peppery bulb itself. But some people just throw the leaves away. But they're great in salads. I just munch them whole like like no tomorrow, really. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, me too. I'm, I look at them very excitedly. I can't wait to pick them because I know they're going to be good. Are you able to go out foraging at the moment? And is that loud? Do you have any tips for anyone who's out looking for some wild food at the moment? Yes, I I think there's ways of, of doing that. Obviously, we are allowed out and about to take exercise. And there's no reason why you can't open your eyes and look around you for edible plants. It might be that you're in the park or you're taking the dog down its, its favourite path. Nettles, wild garlic, they are both in season and very, very delicious, simple and easy to identify wild greens that we, you know, we should be eating more of. So yes, I've been making the wild garlic pestos and I've been making the nettle soups and the nettle risottos. The more hard to find ingredients, perhaps the seaweeds and the coastal greens might be a little bit trickier for us to gather at the moment. But I noticed in the garden just this morning that one of the elder trees has come in into flower so I'm just seeing the beginnings of these little ivory sprays of of elder in flower and it's it's really wonderful to see and uh, a bit of a bit of a sign of kind of seasonal hope so that's and that's we've, not... we've never walked as much have we we've never had the time or the I suppose the incentive because that is the the one thing that you are allowed out to do to walk around and, and ha- as you say, open your eyes and have a look around and it's sort of that back to the old ways vibe a little bit. And so actually to forage as you go is a great idea. I totally agree. And even if you're not looking for wild food, just to breathe in a bit of, of spring, a bit of nature, witness the, the turn of the season as, as you know the trees erupt and the, the hedgerows come into bloom. It's, it's just a wonderful sort of mindful and quite rewarding thing to do really couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more it brings great joy to my days certainly although i'm very sad i haven't been able to get any wild garlic in wiltshire at the moment which is a um, oh. great shame actually i've got more wild garlic on the grass this year than grass just gone well i've well, got all my got patches in wiltshire. another week or, or, or two I, I imagine before it's a bit late yeah so Keep looking. I've been trying so hard. I have all my patches I know to go to in Dorset. I think, you know, once you get in the habit of it, you know where to go for all your um, ingredients, yeah. don't you? <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. Are you able to get out and about and are you able to cook in your garden at all? Are you able to get to the beach? Yes. I mean, sometimes I feel a little bit guilty about 
this space I have around me because I know so many people don't have access to that. But we do have a beach not far from the house. So yes, I'm, I'm very, very grateful to be able to, to get down to there, down to the shore occasionally. And yes, we've had the odd, the odd campfire. The nice thing about this beach is that it's very secluded because I live quite rurally. You can weave your way down through the woods and onto the beach and you don't see anyone. The dog really enjoys it. It's good exercise for us. And quite often, you know, we'll get a little campfire going and perhaps cook a little bit of breakfast or or just make a cup of coffee down there. I know it sounds simple and very basic, but actually some of the more simple things we do can bring the most joy, really. That's something that is becoming clear to people who've just been so busy and not able to stop and, and do these things. Outdoor cooking is such a treat. You know, it makes you feel like summer is coming, although my husband has been known to barbecue in the snow. He's a, he's a year-round <laughs> barbecuer. But there is something lovely about alfresco eating and that, that feeling of warmth in the last few days. The weather's just started to be so lovely. Yeah. From burgers and sausages, what would you recommend that people try and cook outside? What are your favourite alfresco dishes? I know it's easy to lean towards meat when you think about cooking over a fire outside, but actually there's no reason why we shouldn't be cooking vegetables and fruit and, of course, fish over an open fire. I think people are generally nervous about cooking over a hot fire because things can burn. It's kind of hard to control in comparison to our hobs in our kitchens. but Some of the flavours that you can create, some of the textures, the depth of flavour that you can get from that intense heat on vegetables and fruit is is really incredible. I mean, let's take asparagus as an example because we've just started the asparagus season. I think it's the best way to cook asparagus over a hot grill, charring the outside, sweetening the, the flesh, it knocks the socks off steaming it in the kitchen onto a plate, some fresh olive oil, salt and pepper, maybe a, a few toasted seeds, maybe you know a little bit of grated hard cheese. Simple and an easy way to cook and very hard to get wrong, to be honest with you. <laughs> Later on in the year, leeks on the barbecue or on, on the grill over a fire. Again, one of the great ways of cooking leeks. You almost char them till they're black on the outside, but in in the middle, they stay incredibly sweet and sort of take on this sort of melt-in-the-mouth texture. That kind of smoky sweet, I guess that would work for beetroot as well. Yeah, all those sweet roots can be cooked on, on the fire, namely because they're so resilient and, you know, they can handle it. You know, they're tough, tough vegetables that can take that charring, take on a bitter edge and still retain that sweetness and that texture on the inside. And yeah, I wouldn't hesitate on throwing some new season beetroot into the embers even. Oh, Forget yeah. the grill, get it straight into the coals. And oh, nice. Skin on. Waste away. Yeah, skin on you get this amazing contrast of of the bitter, slightly crunchy outside to the the sweet flesh in the middle. And again, without harping on, it's one of the best ways to cook beetroot as well. 
I'm going to try that. <laughs> so talking about vegetables, Gil, yeah. root, stem, leaf and flower, your new book is due out soon. Can you, yes. What can you tell us about it? Okay, well, my approach to cooking has shifted, I think. I suppose as all of us as cooks, our approach to, to food and cooking evolves as we go through life. But I've definitely found myself cooking far more vegetables than I used to. It's become very much part of my life. Meat and fish, I still enjoy. And when I do cook them, it's fantastic. But I really only eat meat and fish when I can get the best stuff from the right place at the right time. So yes, I've been working on a whole series of veg-based recipes over the last few years and they've come together in this new book called Root Stem Leaf Flower which is out at the end of May. Really it's not a book for vegetarians, it's certainly not a book for vegans, it's a book for, for anyone who enjoys good food and cooking and wants to build on their their repertoire of, of, of kind of veg-based dishes. It's I suppose, uh, a little bit of inspiration for the home cook. I hope it gives people a few more ideas, gives them a new direction to take their, their, their veg cooking in. And beyond that, it's, I think, a book about reconnecting with our environment through the food that we eat. It's a book about nature and plants and the good in things that that grow around us. It's about, as I mentioned earlier, when we go on a walk, it's about opening our eyes to what's going on around us and how fragile our environment really is. So um, timely. I mean, who could have known when you wrote that book, Gil, that it would be launching in this kind of situation? It's just unbelievable that, you know, these times have come. And I think your book will be very welcome because people are, are living in a different way to, to the way that they did even just a few weeks ago. Tell us about life in Gil's house. So what was your life like before? Did you get up and then zoom off somewhere or were you busy traveling on the road a lot? Are you finding life quite different now? Some people seem to be and some aren't. Are you feeling like you're running a small restaurant from home <laughs> cooking for your family? <laughs> Yeah, life is very different. Of course, I in my normal life, if I can call it that, I would be working away quite a lot. I'd be up and down the country, either teaching cookery courses or doing events or being part of a, a, a supper club, whatever it is. My work would take me away from home quite regularly. All that's gone, all that's dried up. So I am totally at home a hundred percent so that's quite a, a stark difference yeah already not having any pressures any outside pressures is a whole new thing for me I'm used to having deadlines I'm used to having editorial work to deliver I'm used to people waiting for emails this burden that I constantly carry this anxiety almost mm-hmm of my schedule and my my daily work has all but disappeared and i i cannot tell you <laughs> how unusual and at the same time 
how relieving it is in a way without freedom yeah yeah I know what you mean yeah without making a a bad situation into a good one yeah it's amazing and and it's very interesting and, and it's a kind of unique thing for me suddenly all this weight has lifted off my shoulders and I can do whatever I want I don't have to think about tomorrow the future if we were able to put you know money to one side and not think about that at all I'd be living a, a very contented lifestyle there's some aspects that that are and obviously notwithstanding the seriousness of the situation there are some aspects that are almost idyllic in terms of of this new slower way of doing things and I do wonder how much people will want to return to normal whatever that is and I think a lot of what we've sort of gained from this situation on the positive side of which there is there is a little you know how much of that will we want to keep and I think some people will definitely be looking to make these changes a more permanent part of of their life do you feel that way I definitely do I think there will be a shift in how people how people want to live and what people see as important and what people prioritize now because there are people that have worked their entire lives and never experienced a break like this you know this is something that for some has never happened before two three four six eight weeks off at a time without working i mean andrew the photographer that I work with very closely and he works on on the books with me so busy all the time he's never ever had weeks on end sitting down reading building photo archives you know having the time to actually slow down think and take stock at what's been going on so yeah I think it's going to make a big difference to how people live in fact I said to my wife Alice this morning I'm going to put a new email signature on my email so you know when people email me they'll get a ping back saying I apologize if I don't get back to you for a few days I'm kind of busy doing normal stuff which I felt sort of meant the new normal which is doing some gardening or going for a walk or cooking you know, there's this the old, <clears throat> the old normal that is now the new normal, and we've tasted it now, haven't we? Like you say, many people have never had this this way to be, and it's, once you've tasted it, then you kind of like some parts of it. I think it's so you interesting. Do. So many people who've got children. I mean, I don't, but so many people who've got children have just said to me, "We will never have this time as a family together so long True. as a family," and that's uh, another unique element that's quite life changing, isn't it? Absolutely. It's been a real joy having my two daughters here all the time. I mean, it hasn't been like that for a while because my eldest daughter's in university in, in Brighton. So we're all back together. You take the rough with the smooth sometimes. <laughs> it's a real, yeah, it's a real joy. It'll um, be something that they remember and something they tell their children and their children's children about this time. And I think, I, yeah, I yeah, think so. It has some specialness, definitely. I think it will change people's outlook. Who knows how the world will look in, in a year's time. But, you know, here's hoping there'll be some good to come from it. I'm sure absolutely, there will. Absolutely. Girl, I'm so looking forward to your new book because, if I may say, your writing is beautiful and your recipes are just 
so lovely. I, I would apply the word genius to them because they are so simple, <laughs> but the combinations are just so exciting well, and interesting. Charlotte, and that's so kind of you. Thank you very much. I'm, I really do mean it. And, you know, we wish you all the best with that and your time at home because there are some, some nice moments to be savoured in amongst it all, aren't there? And what, definitely, what, what three things would you say you're looking forward to, Gil, when this is all over? If you could have just three things that you think, I can't wait to dot, 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 when, when at some point things do change. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's hard That's to a good, three. It's a hard, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing, obviously, my wider family, my sister and brother and, and, and father and my grandmother, who's who's fairly old and, and in need of, you know, attention and, and so forth. I'd like to see all my family. I have an old wooden sailing boat that I long to get out in. Funnily enough, I was speaking to the harbour master yesterday and he said, absolutely not. There's no, no one allowed to move their boats and there's no traffic on the water. So that I will look forward to. And I'll also look forward to getting out and finding some nice new seasonal ingredients that I haven't had access to for the last few weeks and months. So that'll be a treat too. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank and you very much. I wish indeed. you to stay safe and well. Absolutely. And you too. Thank you for, for your time and having me on. It's been, it's been a real pleasure. So, we're going to finish the episode by talking about some cooking tips and some questions that we've been receiving about what to cook during the COVID-19 pandemic. What have you been asked, Charlotte? Well, I think there are two big themes that seem to come up in the questions that I've been asked recently. First of all, it's all about staying on your own. So a number of people are really finding it very hard for so many reasons being on their own at the moment. And cooking has always, frankly, been a problem for people on their own. A lot of people don't feel incentivized to cook for themselves where they might do with other people present. And so I thought it was, would be quite interesting to talk about maybe some ideas and recommendations for people who are on their own at the moment and having to, to cook for themselves. It's not easy. I certainly feel as a, as a cook, that's one of my weakest areas. I struggle to make the effort sometimes when I'm on my own and that is not a good habit to be in. I think it's really important if you're cooking for yourself to, first of all, choose foods that you enjoy so that there's an incentive to, to make a meal rather than just to have a snack or something really, really basic. So I think planning some nice meals that, you know, we'll look forward to will actually add some variety to the day as well. I don't know about you, Jules, but certainly the structure around planning, cooking and eating in the evenings is quite an important highlight of the day, which otherwise could sort of drag on a bit. <laughs> well, yeah, and you want to make sure that whatever you are eating, because eating is a highlight of the day, well, hopefully it is, that, that you're making something that's not just a sandwich, although sometimes it might be. You know, you're trying to, to make something nice happen in your day, aren't you? I think that's really true. And one thing that I personally find quite useful when I'm cooking for myself and if I'm sort of slightly struggling to muster the motivation to do it is to use the opportunity to actually try something new and 
when I see things as a sort of learning opportunity, that can be quite helpful as well. It's not just putting food on the table, but if I'm trying something new, I see it as a challenge to maybe learn a new skill. I can practice that for when I'm going to see people, have some ideas up up my sleeve for when I'm able to cook for people I love and want to see again. That's a really useful thing as well. Brilliant. And what what else have you been asked or what have people been talking to you about recently? Well, the other big thing is actually getting hold of ingredients. That's been really difficult. Again, it's hard to generalise because the picture is patchy. For example, where you are in Devon is very different to where I am in Wiltshire. Everyone's situation is really different, but getting hold of ingredients is still a big problem for people. I mean, how have you been finding your shopping this week? So interestingly, I'm doing my once a week big supermarket shop to get all the the bits and bobs in one place that I need. And the shelves were a lot more full. And I even managed to get strong white bread flour. I know. Amazing. Really? Yeah. And that's the first time that's happened. Plus, there were no queues to get in. We weren't queuing and filed forward. We weren't queuing and filed forward one at a time to pay. It felt a little more normal in that respect but equally it's still the atmosphere of Armageddon people in masks gloves people not wanting to stand too close to each other something still missing off the shelves and still very strange so we are finding new ways and getting things from the butcher and the fishmonger and that sort of thing I've got an order in with the garden center because of my new hobby of gardening and growing food for some more seeds because the ones we planted we've used those seeds and it's things like that it's finding new ways to make these things happen yeah it's certainly been a challenge I mean my way of shopping has totally totally changed with this because I try and shop online for specialist ingredients because I don't really have any independence near me I don't have a baker I don't have a butcher I don't have a greengrocer so I tend to buy my meat and my fish direct from my suppliers online and have those delivered and then I'll do an online shop maybe once a month once a fortnight with Ocado or something but that's actually mainly for the household things all the boring things that are just to run and not necessarily so much for food so I have had to actually just do a big weekly shop in the supermarket and trundle the trolley around and try and think of everything we need for the week which has been so different I have mainly got what I need, but I know that there are still lots of big issues. One of the big issues I'm hearing about at the moment is flour. And that's the one thing I have not managed to get at all. I couldn't believe it when I saw it in Sainsbury's. I was, I mean, there was like two packets left. It had clearly come in and gone gone out again very quickly, but it must be starting to come through, although it'll be a long time before the shelves are full again. That's it. I mean, I've been doing quite a lot of research and trying to find independence I can use as well for ingredients. I personally find supermarkets quite helpful for sort of basics and household stuff. And then for ingredients, I'm trying to buy as much as I can from independence to top it up. But it's actually quite hard to find independents who are selling online and can accept orders from new customers, for example. So I spent quite a lot of time looking at options there, but it is really not an easy picture. I know a lot of independents are being quite creative about selling new products and pubs and restaurants are selling produce in villages, something I certainly wish I could take advantage of, but I don't seem to have anything locally. 
But Facebook groups have been quite useful as well with small local businesses and community groups advertising stocks or small businesses who people might not have used before in the local area who are doing deliveries, which is quite good to know about. That's right. That's the, the garden centre that I've ordered my seeds from. They're, they're two minutes drive up the road, but obviously I can't go there. And I found out on Facebook through a local group that they're doing local deliveries, which they wouldn't normally do because we live two minutes down the road. And it's, th- it's that kind of community information that I think we're all finding incredibly useful. I agree entirely. I agree. So what about cooking tips this week, Charlotte? What have you got for us? Well, there are a few things I've been thinking about based on conversations I've been having. And there are three areas I wanted to talk about quickly this week. The first is the sort of time and inclination with cooking. It is really difficult at the moment for lots of people because the routine of having to cook and plan and wash up for three meals a day is hard. And I know a lot of people are really feeling the sort of the grind of it, especially if you've got a family and you're having to make lots of food every day. I've heard from lots of people who even are keen cooks, but are just really not feeling it at the moment. So what I think is really useful in that scenario, if you're just feeling a bit jaded by the whole experience, is actually just to think about ways you can cook to simplify what you're doing and to save time. And I was thinking about how to do that. And I really would recommend some excellent sources for information on one pot or one tray dishes at the moment. It's quite a nice way to cook because they generally use the oven or one pan or a slow cooker. So that means less washing up. And actually, they require some time for the recipes to cook, but less of your presence. So a couple of books I'd recommend for that. There's a great book by Darina Allen called One Pot Feeds All. Lovely recipes for just sort of easy family cooking, putting everything in one dish. There's another book called The One Pot Cook by Hattie Ellis. Again, similar premise, lovely recipes. It's a really good one to know about. There's a new book out from Diana Henry called From the Oven to the Table, which is really good for oven-baked dishes, exclusively oven-baked dishes. However, what I would say about that is it does require a slightly wider store cupboard of ingredients, which all can be easily ordered online in normal times. But there are a few ingredients there that might be a bit tricky for for other people. And there's another book I'd recommend called The Tin and Tray Bake Cookbook by a lovely food writer, Sam Gates. There's a few sources of information there. Maybe look them up. Some of the books have released a few sample recipes for free online, but they're really good sources for making cooking easy and saving on stress. I would recommend thinking about planning your food around the ingredients you've got because a lot of us are shopping less frequently now. We are not able to say, oh, I really fancy such and such tonight and popping out to the shops to get those ingredients. So a lot of us are having to rummage in the cupboard and think, oh goodness, well, I've got a tin of chickpeas, a tin of tomatoes and, (laughs) you know, half a courgette in the fridge. What can I do with that? And there's some really good websites I've found online that enable you to search for recipes based on ingredients, which is quite a good resource if you're having to be a bit more creative with what you've got available. I'd really recommend Olive Magazine's website, Board Beer's website, which is an Irish website, B-O-R-D-B-I-A. The Guardian website has a lot of recipes, uh, Saga website and Jamie Oliver. These are all really good resources for really nice recipes. A lot of them I've tried myself and they worked really well and they're free to access with no paywalls. So they'd be some really good resources to look at for more recipe information. 
And finally, I would recommend thinking about your shopping lists. Now, it's really hard at the moment trying to get hold of shopping and where you get it from is a challenge. But what I would recommend is just keeping a constant shopping list. I have a list that I add things to every time they occur to me. I think we've all got to be a bit more disciplined with planning nowadays. And if you keep a shopping list, you know exactly what you need and where you're going to get it from. You can save a lot of money online by compiling everything and reducing potential delivery costs that we're all having to pay to get things brought to home. So there's a few tips that I think might be useful this week to think about when you're cooking and planning. Lovely. Thank you very much. So Julie, as a fresh food supplier to the supermarkets, what's been happening in your world this week? So as every week, I am putting a regular call in to the owner of the factory that makes the Moorish products for us, the Hummus factory. And at the moment, staffing levels are reduced, but they're still good. So that's always reassuring. And what we've seen is the supermarkets have really got their act together. And I, you know, I can see it myself when I go in and do my weekly shop. They have got the stock levels back across many of the categories. They're, they're back to almost normal. And we are seeing, you know, a really good supply chain working through. What has been really interesting is the the smaller stores, the Planet Organic, the Whole Foods Market, the local sort of Devon farm shops and delis and all across the UK. Those orders have massively gone up. And I think that's really interesting to see that that's how people are choosing to shop now in a way that they haven't accessed those opportunities before. But other than that, it's looking good. I think people in the industry are working incredibly hard. And I'm really proud of everybody that I know in the industry who is just doing their very best to make sure that people get the food they want. It's not always easy. And sometimes we are having to be creative with our recipes. But by and large, everyone is doing a pretty good job. So it only remains for me to say thank you to my lovely co-host, Charlotte, and to our fantastic guests who have given up their time to come and talk to us. We do have at least one competition every week and sometimes more. And the best way to find out what we're offering to you lucky listeners is to check out our social media pages. So we are the Pandemic Pantry Podcast, and we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and check those pages out where you'll be able to find some really lovely goodies that somebody very lucky will win every week. That's it for now. Talk to you next week. So we just like to finish by saying thanks for listening, folks. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question about food and drink during the pandemic, drop us an email. We're on hello at pandemic-pantry.co.uk. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram under Pandemic Pantry Podcast. And if you'd like to enter our weekly competition to win a case of delicious Moorish dips or one of our other great giveaways, just head to our website and look in the competition section. The website address once more is www.pandemic-pantry.co.uk and we'll see you next week.